Welcome to episode 12 of the Geek Therapy Podcast. My name is Josue Cardona. With me today is Steve Kuniak, a licensed professional counselor in Pittsburgh, PA. He's been on the show before. I'm really excited to talk to him today about something he did recently at a gaming convention called PAX East. So, uh, Steve, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Josue. Nice to, nice to talk to you again. So, uh, first question, what is, what is this show you went to? What is it called? What is it about? Okay, yeah. PAX, uh, PAX East is actually an offshoot of uh, the PAX conventions that were started by uh, Penny Arcade. So if you're familiar with the Penny Arcade webcomic and uh, Penny Arcade report and, um, and all of that, uh, at some point the guys from Penny Arcade, uh, Gabe and Tycho as their uh, screen names go or as their um, avatars or online personalities uh, go, um, decided that all of the gaming conventions that go on out there in the world are so much fun, but the fans never actually get to go to them, or at least at the time, no one got to go to you know, these large events like E3 or or whatnot. And so they um, they decided that they would put together a convention, and they partnered with um, uh, folks from Read Pop, who are the uh, the folks that do the New York Comic Con and C2E2 and Star Wars Celebration, and uh, came up with Penny Arcade Expo, which is the uh, the acronym PAX is taken from that. Um, it started in uh, Seattle, which is where Penny Arcade is located. It became so popular and filled up so fast that eventually they made the offshoot uh, PAX East, which is located in Boston every year. And it's since grown. They now have a PAX Developers uh, Convention. And uh, this year will be the first PAX Australia. Um, so they've, they've expanded to international venues as well. So it's, it's a massive convention. Uh, my understanding was that uh, at any given time in the convention center, there were uh, about 60,000 people. Um, at the at the convention and um, so it is one of those just just massive scale uh, gamer conventions like um, what you would uh, see at e3 the um, electronic entertainment expo in the summer so that's in a nutshell pax okay and so and so usually we talk to people on the show and and i talk to other professionals who go to these shows and they give panel presentations or they give poster presentations but you did something very 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 different you're completing your PhD now, and you went to do research at PAX. That is correct. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, finishing up my PhD in counselor education, uh, actually at Duquesne University in Pittsburgh, and I've finished all of my coursework. I've passed my uh, comprehensive exams, and um, about uh, just about a year ago now, I started work on my dissertation, and. Um, the topic is on, um, well, it's, it's evolved quite a bit. I've, as I kind of talked with you about in the last um, show I did with you, uh, I've had this theory for a long time, which is, which is shared, I think, by a lot of the professionals that appear on your show, this idea that uh, the geek culture actually has some uh, benefits to mental health within it, that there are some, some ideas that we can draw upon and use that are really healthy uh, coping strategies, potentially, or, or just methods of looking at life. And so... If anyone, as, as anyone who has or will be doing a dissertation might be aware, the idea of the dissertation is to take a really large idea and cut it down to one basic question um, that you're going to actually do research on, that you're going to actually uh, try to pull some, some useful information out of. And so from that big idea of how is the geek culture somehow useful, especially from a mental health perspective, since this is a counseling degree, I've cut this down over the course of the year 
that I've been working on it to how um, what makes up the gamer culture specifically. So this um, sort of sliver of the geek, the overall geek culture, the, the gamer culture, what makes up a gamer and what about gamers are potentially interesting or useful to mental health professionals like us. So that is the general gist of it. Okay, and and before you get into like the more specifics, I originally thought that you were essentially standing outside uh, the convention hall or outside the building, with uh, you know handing out surveys or something like that. But uh, you recently told me it wasn't that way at all. You you how how did you set up at the convention? Yeah, um, it, it's pretty exciting actually. I it was it was a blast. I I got to actually be in the convention center. So I was an exhibitor at the convention. The uh, very generous folks at ReadPop um, helped me pull together a uh, a kiosk in the lobby, in the, as they would call it a kiosk. It's it's actually a vendor uh, table in the lobby area of the Boston Convention Center where uh, PAX is held, which is um, just a, a massive building. But so yeah, I was in the north lobby, the main entrance of the building, and uh, they actually were kind enough to. Um, I just I just thought I would be in this this large lobby area like you're saying essentially just trying to draw people over to pay attention to me and and take this survey um but instead they set me up um right between the two entrances to the expo hall where all the uh where all the action is all day and i actually uh, my my table was immediately to the right of the penny arcade merch booth so i had uh, plenty of people gathering in this north lobby um who were attending to my little my little setup which was which was just fantastic so that's a lot of visibility. Did um did people ignore you? Uh, actually, no. I was <laughs> I was really afraid that with so many huge um, exhibition tables and so many I mean the, the adjectives to use to describe the size and stature of the the um, uh, the displays that were around the PAX um, Expo Hall. The, the adjectives just go on and on. But these these really really creative massive displays. I thought little old me, you know. Um, mental, mental health professional from Pittsburgh trying to just get people to take his survey packets with uh, with just a, a couple of signs up were going to be fairly uh, dwarfed. But actually, I from the moment I set up on the first day until I uh, finished up, um, I was never without at least one or two people at my table either asking me questions or actively taking the survey. And um, it was it was an overwhelmingly positive response. I actually got a, a, it was not uncommon to actually have a line of people. Um, wanting to take my study, which was which was really just incredible. Like, how how did you do that? Like, how what was um what was your display like? What was what did it say? If I came up to the table, what what would I see when I got there? Okay, yeah, that's a, that's a good question. <laughs> um, yeah, so you'd walk in and you would probably your eyes would probably be drawn to the Pax merch booth, all the uh, all the colorful uh, stuff there, and then immediately to your right, you would see this little black uh, cloth table set up. I, I had a tablecloth with my name and my uh, credentials on it, and uh, I have a logo that is actually strikingly similar to the Geek Therapy logo, uh, as we have discussed. A, a friend of mine came up with the uh, the logo idea for me, and um, yeah, admittedly, it's it's the same sort of characters in different positions, basically. Um, I won't I won't sue yet. <laughs> I, I appreciate that. To be honest with you, after. Uh, after this research is done, I don't know how much uh, you would get from me anyway, but <laughs> um, but I, I can appreciate that. Uh, but yeah, so I had the, the table set up with a tablecloth, and then I had um, two signs that I got done uh, by a local 
sign design place place called Signorama. So these I had these two signs, one that said um, uh, help, uh, or I'm sorry, it said gamer research. And then um, the bullet points under it were the bullet points were actually little, little video game controllers that the designers at Signorama came up with a really nice mock-up for me. And, uh, you know, it asked for people to... Um, sort of give their opinions, help shape the identity of the gamer culture and um, help people to understand what it is that a gamer is and help teach mental health professionals what's important about gamers. And then my last little bullet point was, and please help me earn my PhD. Um, I, I was not above... <laughs> the uh, playing of the sympathy card a couple of times when when folks wanted to know why they ought to help me out there. But uh, so that was on one side. And on the other side, I had a uh, sign that depicted a Homer Simpson pin that a friend of mine created out of some clip art online uh, that had Homer's, uh, an x-ray of Homer's head, but instead of a, a brain inside there, it had a little game controller. And so the pin, the image of the pin said, uh, test subject on it. And so that was my thank you gift for people who participated in, in my study. PAX has a long series of traditions uh, that I learned about, um, one of which is an event called buttoneering. And um, when you participate in buttoneering, you create a button that you're not selling. So kind of the licensing piece of it is not really an issue because you're not you're not generating revenue on it. And, you know, my study was free to take and the button was freely given. So people will create these little buttons with images or slogans or, or things on them. And it's a, a popular way to kind of meet and greet one another, um, to introduce yourself, to share these buttons with each other. And the objective is to meet as many buttoneers as you can and trade buttons and come home with a collection of, of buttons. And there's apparently a buttoneering webpage where you can, if you do one of these events, register the buttoneering and people can post their buttons and you can essentially create like a checklist so that people know um, what they've got, what they're looking for, um, and gives people an opportunity to meet up and socialize. So that was a, that was a cool offshoot of the PAX event. And um, of course, you know, as, as you very well know, and anyone else who's gone to any cons, just giveaway buttons are uh, kind of the thing. Uh, people like to decorate their lanyards with um, with cleverly done buttons. And I thought, what better thank you than to provide this to people? And, and if it works in the reverse and people just come up because they want one of these buttons, then all the better. I get some more participants. But that was really it. You know, black backdrop um, as set up by the guys at Repop and the table. Uh, my couple little signs, and that was the most of it. So that's and, and myself with my uh, two of my associates, two of my longtime friends who volunteered to come along to help me give out these surveys. We were wearing our little blue shirts with the same logo on it, trying to look as official as we could. So that's what you would see. That's how you would know we were doing something. Uh, it's it's definitely a lot more elaborate than I than I originally thought it was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds great though. It sounds great. It sounds really great. Yes. So obviously people responded really well and. Um, so so how did it go? Like if I would have walked up to the table, what what was I doing exactly? What kind of what was my experience like as someone who coming up to the table? Yeah, if you came up to the table to take the survey, people would ask me questions. They'd want to know what they were getting involved with. And so, um, you know, I did a lot of the explaining. Uh, my friends, um, you know, they, they were pretty versed on the on the study itself so that they could help out. Um, but a lot of people had some individualized questions for me. And um, so that would not be uncommon. But basically, you were you would be given, you know, once you were interested enough to go further, um, I had an informed consent document that did the explaining of how the study was to work, your rights as a participant, you know, just generally an explanation of. So if you don't want to, again, for people who aren't real familiar with the uh, Institutional Review Board and the ethics and the um, 
you know, the safeguarding of, of research participants, you always have to have an informed consent form so that people can give their consent to participate in the study and who, and so that they also know that should they want to um, stop participating at any time, there's no penalty for that. So, um, you know, it explained out that whole process. It explained how their data would be stored, which is I have them, you know, I have these packets separate. So the informed consent documents that have signatures on them um, are stored totally separate of the actual research packets. But I have to retain all of that information because, and, and this is a restriction of the um, Institutional Review Board, any sort of materials like that have to be retained for a period of five years and at which point I'll destroy all of that. Um, and so only the data will then remain, but, you know, explain all that so that they knew how I would be handling it and storing their information and how I would keep their, their name safe and, and all that. Um, and so if they agreed to that, they would sign, you know, and there was a place for me to sign. And then that form would get stored in a different box, you know, clearly labeled informed consents. And then I would hand the person a, um, it's a three page survey packet. And the front page of it was a demographic form that collected things like uh, gender, age of participants. They had to affirm that they were in fact identifying as a gamer, since I think that that's one piece of the definition of, of someone in one of these cultures is that there has to be some sort of self-affirmation. So you know, you know as well as I do that there are folks out there who read comic books but wouldn't see themselves as like a comic book aficionado or a geek. They just happen to read comic books. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So I, I really think that self-affirmation part is a big is a big piece. Yeah. Just identifying. Yeah. Exactly. So so that was that was a part of it. They had to be over eighteen, which was spelled out clearly on the informed consent. And if by chance anyone got through me asking them, them signing and seeing that or whatever, when I put the packets in. Um, through the data collection, if if I happen upon one that isn't, which I, I think we did some pretty hefty screening of that, um, that data won't be used. I'll have to shred the uh, I'll have to shred the packet. But so it asks age, socioeconomic level, uh, different gaming platforms used, amount of time spent gaming, average per week, average hours per week rather. It asked a question of race because, and as you and I were talking before we we. Uh, started up the podcast here. You know, the gamer culture is is so much larger now, and so it includes lots of um, subcultures within it at this point which includes varying racial identities and so i tried to i tried to account for all of these variables because when i plug this all into the statistics so i plug it into the statistics software it'll it'll be able to tease out those variables i'll be able to account for all of those other things so that if i do find any sort of effect with the rest of the psychometrics i used i can find out if it had anything to do with any of those other variables um, is the idea. So I tried to collect as much as I could possibly think of that would be useful so that I, so I can make the study just that much more valid. So, the, you know, they'd fill that out. And then when you turn the page, I had a gamer personality test. And this was actually, um, you can look it up online. Uh, there's an online component to it. And so you could actually just take the test and see how you score just for the heck of it. It's a, it's a free um, personality metric. It's called BrainHex. Um, B-R-A-I-N-H-E-X, and it's created by a group called, I believe it's International Hobo. Uh, it asks a number of questions about your motivation to play. So what type of games do you like to play? What experiences do you like to have? And there's two different scales that it measures. Um, that was actually a really well-normed uh, test. I did a lot of looking for what would be a good gamer personality measure because I wanted something that really identified what the person's motivations were for play, what who who they are as a gamer, basically. And um, the more quantifiable I could make that, the better for this type of study. I would have loved to have done individual interviews, but it would have just been 
it would have taken forever with the sample size I was needing. So that will break the participant down into one of seven different gamer personality types based on their responses. And then turn the page again, and there is a coping strategies inventory, which asks some questions about, you know, you know so that all previously was, you know, in the brain hex was about how you experience games. Uh, the coping strategies inventory explicitly asks how you experience uh, events in real life and what you do, how you approach odd situations or stressful situations in your real life. Uh, once the person answered those questions, which were again on a, all of these were on Likert scales, there was a, uh, the last piece was a resiliency uh, metric. So it's an ego resiliency scale called the ER89, which I used in a previous study of mine um, about fantasy heroes' effect on resiliency. And so that asks a number of questions again about how you approach stressful situations, but from a different, you know, from a different avenue. You know, the statistics associated with these metrics are actually pretty good. In fact, the brain hex, the one that is not its own psychometric, um, the sample size that they normed it on was was massive because it's an online sample. So he had uh, quite a lot of data for me to use to back up the validity of the metric. So I was I was very lucky to find these these tests. So that was that experience. You would go through that. It was taking people approximately 10 minutes to go through the entire the entire packet, five to 10 minutes at the most. Uh, they would hand that in to us. Most of the time we would tr- most of the time we would try to do a quick check over because if any information is missing, I have to I have to throw out the packet. You know I can't I can't put um, some information but not all information into the stats program. Um, so we do a quick check over. Um, and then I had a debriefing statement for people that explained out a bit more about the study now that they had participated, just my hypotheses and things. I wanted to make sure that I wasn't uh, influencing people before they took the uh, the test. So the debriefing statement explained out a little bit more, gave them where they could find the information on the study once it's completed, um, which is on my webpage. But uh, that's going to take a little while because those tests all need hand scored. <laughs> so I'm not very far along in the process. But that's that was that. And you know, uh, the plus is that since I had a little bit of help running my table, um, a lot of people were able to stop by afterwards after they'd finished and um, had an opportunity to chat with me, which was uh, really one of my favorite parts of the experience was really getting to talk to you know these folks who um, were coming to this convention just because they really love being a part of this culture. They, they love to be uh, gamers. And that was kind of from point A to point B, how you would go through my my table. Okay, so so before before I really want to know like kind of some of the feedback that you got from people who were there. Yeah. But um, before that, I mean, you've you've mentioned statistics and psychometrics, and we've gone pretty nerdy already. Yes. Um. So let's just go all in. Like, uh, so actually talk about um your theory and the actual research part, and like what what it is that you're actually trying to do, and and what we'll see at the at the other end. Okay. Um, basically, where, where I'm coming from with this is a lot of the mental health studies that have gone out, uh, have gone on out there um, about gamers have been, f- from my perspective, have been fairly negative in their in their outlook. And not that I'm trying to do something that automatically uh, goes against those findings, but I just uh, my my goal, my intention was really to help define this culture better. Um, the studies that have been more positive, or at least if not positive, more open, have tended to be very um, qualitative in their nature. And again, for folks who aren't 
knee deep in in research lingo, the difference between a qualitative and a quantitative study is that qualitative studies tend to be more um, interview based, very um, much more personal, uh, much more entrenched in the literature. Whereas quantitative studies use statistics to make arguments and then find you know numeric results that that have some some uh, statistical backing to them. So they um, you know I have a, I had a professor once who uh, explained the difference as um, qualitative studies help us to ask the questions and quantitative studies then help us to answer those questions. If you think about it that way, you know, there has been some qualitative research done and it's been pretty good. But when you're trying to make an argument in the academic world, a lot of the folks who are making the arguments only really want to buy into quantitative studies. So I was really encouraged by my faculty, you know, when I had said that this is how I want to approach this and this is the design I want to use. They were pretty uh, positive about it because this really creates an argument um, one way or the other that hasn't really been done yet. And so it's, it's a first run of this. So anyway. To your original question, um, you know, the, the purpose of the study is to really approach from a quantitative nature, what can I find out about this, this population of people that um, is going to help define them? You know, we've heard a lot about aggression and uh, negative outlooks and poor ability to deal, to deal with social situations and things like that that we've seen in these other quantitative studies. But no one's really asked, what is a gamer anyway? We've always looked at targeted identification pieces, so targeted behaviors, tar targeted emotional responses. And I just wanted to ask that basic question of who are you, what makes you up as a person, and what are the tools that I as a mental health professional need to know, which is how do you cope with life and how resilient are you, how strong are you to deal with the oddities that show up in our lives, the uncomfortable situations that show up in our lives. Um, and so I'm trying to get a picture of that with the study. Very cool. Does it have a title yet? The uh, the title at this point uh, in editing is The Gamer Culture, an Exploration of Gamer Archetypes' Relationship with Resiliency. Subject to change. Yeah, yeah. Always subject <laughs> to change in the revisions, but that's where we're at at this point. So you said it would take you a really long time for, for people who are interested in seeing the results of the, of the study. So um, how many people took the study and how many were you expecting to take the study? Or how many did you need? Well, that's, that's, that's a, a lot of good questions there. So um, the really long time piece, I am really going to try to get this data pulled together as quickly as possible. So if people are checking out my webpage, I would say once I get the data tabulated, it's going to be no time once it gets into the stats program to run it to figure out exactly what I've found. So what I've been telling people is um, from the point where I was at PAX to start checking back within about a month, which is still kind of an appropriate amount of time for me to get the last of these things scored and into the computer program now give or take a few weeks until I get with my stats person on my committee and get this all pulled together. But I should start to have a picture showing of what's going on on my webpage by then. So um, that's the timetable I'm trying to hold to because I do have a lot of people who are interested in seeing these results. Um, aside from just even myself, I'm very curious to see what I found. But that's the beauty of, of the study, I think. And, and one of the points that I'm most proud of is that I really, um, other than my own belief that I do think that gamers have some very positive personality traits about them and have some potentially positive coping strategies and levels of resiliency, I really don't know what I'm going to find. And so it makes this research pretty pure. I'm just trying to paint a picture that I don't think has been done before. So that's been that's been a lot of fun for me. But so if I, if I talk about uh, the second part to your question, which was the numbers that I was looking for, if you're looking at statistically, and I do not sort of present myself as being a stats expert, but my understanding of how we presume a normal 
a, a normal sampling, a, a standard sort of sampling with a stats uh, program is we want to look at a minimum of about 30 participants. From 30 participants on, we can start to make some assumptions about the statistical significance. And you know, if you have a stats person listening out there, and I'm saying this wrong, I apologize, but that's <laughs> that's been my understanding of stats in my in my years of, of schooling. And so what we looked at was the gamer personality metric I was using has seven categories. So you need to try to get 30 people within each of those categories to say that we have a you know a, a decent sample of individuals. So if you looked at that without actually doing the math, uh, more specifically, you would say seven categories with 30 people in each would be about, what, 210 participants, which is a huge sampling on its own because most, you know, most research studies, I think we're lucky if we get those 30 people to be able to say that, you know, we, we have a decent sample size. So 210 participants, but the thing is, if I'm randomly sampling and I'm taking volunteers, I need to be able to presume that those 30 people fell into those categories, you know, just like a, the roll of a dice, just by chance. And so you need more than that to be able to say that, yes, by chance, you know, these people fell into the categories they fell into, and it's enough people in each of the categories. So I actually had to go back to the original data from the uh, brain hex, the the sample that they used to norm it, and take this this huge sample. I want to say it was something like fifty thousand people or something like that. I could be completely off, uh, but it was a a massive sample size, and figure out what the smallest represented category was and then through some mathematical wizardry that my stats committee member came up with we figured out what the minimum number of participants i was going to need to get would be and that is approximately 340 participants which is just a huge huge sample i I remember as he and i were emailing back and forth to each other seeing that and my my heart kind of sinking because how is it that you find that many volunteers to be able to say that this study um, is sound enough because it's not just enough that i do it to get my degree i really want this to be something that um, that carries some weight that is kind of like, a, you know, here is this population. This is our first round of understanding of where this is. And then other studies can, uh, hopefully some of my own, can take from this and get some better understanding. So, you know, so you can imagine the impact of like, oh my God, <laughs> to do this justice, I'm going to need just shy of, you know, 350 people in, in, this, in this study. You know, my the chair of my dissertation, uh, Dr. Dave Delmonico, um, who has been incredibly supportive as well as the rest of my committee members, um, he had some concern, um, admittedly, and so we had to go back to figuring out how we were going to do this. I want I want to interrupt you just yeah, to say yeah, yeah. that um, as much as this sounds, um, this may sound technical and and kind of boring if you understand what's happening like, this is exciting like, there's drama here like <laughs> <laughs> and that's fair i i can appreciate that this is this has been like a- how are we possibly going to do this how that number is too large it's impossible yeah well and that's how it that's how it felt uh absolutely so i'm glad it's i'm glad it's coming across that way because that was my experience of this uh so i appreciate that that it, the emotion is coming through um I'm, I'm remembering back to this and just thinking of like <laughs> Oh my God! I, I, how am I ever going to get this pulled together? Um, how am I ever going to do this? And so, what we came up with was we came up with an alternative plan. So, if the beauty of the brain hex, and uh, you know, to the credit of the people who created it, it can um, almost collapse in on itself as a study. And so, if I have to, I can break the seven categories down into just two that have the uh, previously existing four and three categories 
you know, contained in those two that are more representative of just larger sort of personality conceptions. So if I do that, then I fall back down to only really needing, you know, 60 participants or so. So it's it's doable at that point. But even then, it's a massive, massive sampling from what you would typically see. So again, uh, to, to give voice to my committee, there I am sitting with these folks. And um, one of my professors, uh, Dr. Uh, Mara Krasinski, had always been very supportive of me really trying to make a name for myself with this, to really to, to be that person who can um, bring this culture to light in the academic community. Um, you know, she really had wanted that. And uh, so I always appreciated her support. She had just said to me, well, you know, the way to get that number is to go to a convention, to a location, to a something big enough to where you can get to be available to that sampling size of people. And so that's when we were originally looking at New York Comic Con. You know, again, like I said, that part is history. We, we go to PAX. So, you know, they helped me to get everything pulled together in time. Uh, and I owe them a, a great deal of credit to get this all together to go to PAX East you know, in, in the end of March here. It was it was one of those things where, you know, you talk about the, the drama of the event. I got the approval to do the study um, officially about um, a week and a half before PAX, um, <laughs> which is just, you know, you think about the uh, <laughs> that level of anxiety um, leading up to that. You've already got your, your, your travel plans to go to Boston. Yeah. You've got a yeah. table set up. Like, yeah, you've got everything ready by then. Yeah, the alternative to it was I just make a presence known and try to collect interest from people. So that they could participate perhaps online later, so that I don't waste the travel plan. Yeah, like you're saying, the hotel, the you know, the rental car, the time off work that I had to submit, <laughs> you know, just all of those little things that go into an event of this size and getting there. Yeah, but it it came through. I got my approvals and I immediately had to start making copies of these papers. And then the consideration came to me. So I've been worried about getting the minimum sample. What if I get a larger sample that I than I expect? And um so I tried to make, I tried to cut it off evenly. I made about 600 um, study packets and just figured that is a nice, clean, even number. And, you know, again, doing this all on my own steam, as it were, trying to afford all of these little pieces out of my, my personal budget. And thankfully I had the help and support of, you know, family on this. That was what I could afford. That was what I could pull together. And that was more than enough. So there I go to Boston, not sure of where I was, you know, how this was going to play out. Uh, again, the supportive family and friends. Uh, I had one of my friends who accompanied me was going on to the various PAX forums and just advertising the, hey, we're doing this study. You know, my buddy is doing this study. Um, check us out. We didn't even know where the where the booth was going to be in the North Lobby at this point. He's just directing people, just check us out in the, you know, <laughs> in the North Lobby. Check us out <laughs> as you come in. Um, even uh, checking into the hotel uh, Thursday night, you know, we're seeing people walking into the hotel with their Xboxes and stuff in their bags and just, hey, you going to PAX? Check us out. We're going to, you know, we're going to be, we're going to be in the North Lobby. And so we um, went from, you know, the, the show floor opened at, I think, 10 a.m. But as an exhibitor, I was able to get there about 8.30. You know, we tried to find our location. This gentleman, Kyle, who had uh, helped me get set up with a table, um, you know, through ReadPop, met up with me there and um, just could not be more friendly and helpful, got me to where I needed to go, um, got us set up, asked us if there was anything else we needed. And um, before I even had the tables fully set up, I had my first participant. And so uh, that was really a kind of a uh, uh, 
a good sign. Yeah, I was going to say a sign of things to come because after him, we we were never without people at the table. Uh, actually, at one point, I had so many participants, uh, they had swarmed the five-hour energy booth that was next to me uh, on my uh, what would be the right as you're facing the booth. They weren't there as early as we were, so my friend was joking about uh, five-hour energy working as a product because uh, you know we here doing our little our little science. Uh, experiment are here well in advance of the people who are uh peddling the caffeine uh supplement you know earlier in the morning and uh we were there later at night so <laughs> read that how you like but um it only works for five hours that's true so. that's true so <laughs> you know but um yeah we had uh we had people who were just sitting down on the floor around trying to take up space uh to to get the study completed i ran out of clipboards to give to people so Day one, I was there from about 8.30 a.m. until um, I think we closed up shop at around like 7.30 p.m., maybe 8 o'clock p.m. Um, the show floor had closed at 6, uh, and so people were at the different panels and things like that. PAX has a like a three-day-long concert event with all the uh, gamer musicians out there represented, and so there were definitely still people in the lobby, but we were just beat and uh, the the people were starting to dwindle by that point. So we, you know, I went back to the hotel and we counted, and I ended up with. Um, so again, remembering that my minimum was 340 participants. Uh, day one, I ended up with 359. <laughs> so yeah, so that was that was just um, that was a fantastic feeling to know that. Wow. Yeah. If nothing else, I have met and exceeded the population that I needed to sample. Um, on day one. On day one, yeah. So day two, we head back out and get things set up, get ourselves situated, and um, we had the same response. There was never a time where there was not someone at my table taking that study. And uh, so actually, at some point, I ran out of the pins that I was giving away. Um, now, we had had some people who kind of just came up and not in any malicious way, just kind of stole a pin because there's so much free giveaway stuff all over the place. I'm sure that was their thinking. So I can't go by the number of pins because all 600 were given away. But so if you're conservative with your estimates, I would say that about 580 people took the study, probably slightly more than that. And so I'm trying to be conservative with it because I'm, I'm knowing that I'm going to have to probably throw some packets out because they're not completed or whatever the case may be. I have to have gotten at least 550 or 560 good samples, which is just huge which is just a massive sampling. So my N, my, my number of participants, I'll list that when I finally get the count um, official on my, on my webpage. But yeah, and, and even then we're packing up because I can't, it's kind of like a contractual thing. So people are signing that they're going to get a freebie at the end of this. I have to be able to provide that. And so I'm out of buttons. I just felt like it was the right thing to do to kind of shut things down at that point. I did have some leftover studies, but it didn't, it didn't make sense to continue. So um, we did hold two back from from what i had because a goal that i had while i was there was um i wanted to be able to offer at least to um uh, gabe and tycho uh the guys who are the creators of penny arcade an opportunity to participate not because their names are going to be cataloged or anything because theirs are going to get shredded just the same as everybody else's when this is done but you know they did the convention they provided the venue they're big gamers themselves and i just thought you know wouldn't that be kind of a nice sort of final gem on the crown of this of this really awesome experience to be able to offer this to them just to see just to see if they're interested and um what's really cool is saturday afternoon um probably around seven o'clock again we packed up because we were out of buttons we uh 
Sunday found that there was a signing opportunity that Gabe and Tycho were going to be signing autographs and stuff. And so my experience with autographs was you have to pay <laughs> to have a signature on anything, right? I mean, that's that's been that's been how it goes at cons. But so we got in line, uh, found out where we were going, and Sunday morning um, just set up our set up the table again with uh, some notes of thanks to the participants. And I left out debriefing statements because I had extra of those and my cards and things like that. So the people who were interested could, um, you know, could follow to see how the study goes. We got in line to see, uh, to meet Gabe and Tycho and to share this with them. So we, we got up there to meet them and they could not be nicer guys. Uh, they signed everything we had. They weren't charging anyone anything for, for their autographs completely interested in in what i was doing and agreed to uh participate in the study of course then wasn't a good time to do it because there was a line of you know like 100 people behind me to meet meet them for autographs but uh i was told to send that on to them and i'm not sure if they'll send it all back or not but it was just a very cool experience to kind of add that to the to the end of the uh to the end of the experience to get to meet those guys and share what their venue had allowed and uh and all that so just very positive experience so we've been talking about this since it's way before New York Comic Con last year. Yes. And we actually met up at New York Comic Con. And like you said, it, it just it just didn't work out. So I was really interested in what you were doing. So I was actually on vacation during that weekend, but I was following on Twitter the entire time and you were giving updates and I was really excited. And I think, I don't know if it was on Saturday, Jane McConaughey like started responding to you when you were talking about the study. Yes. I was so excited. I mean, I mean, I think that's a, that must've been a plus also for that weekend. Oh yes. Yeah, absolutely. That was, uh, that was an, in addition to sort of a uh, sort of plus, um, Jane McGonigal is, uh, her book reality is broken is, is quoted pretty heavily at the start of my, uh, start of my dissertation. You know, the chapter one of the dissertation is the argument as to why this study ought to be done in the first place. And so I referenced her, uh, quite a lot. And so to get, the person that you've referenced as the reason that you ought to do this study to be interested then in your study is just, um, that's just fantastic. So, um, especially someone who is as well known as her. I was so excited for you. I mean, oh, that was fantastic. <laughs> that was so great. Yeah. There, there were a lot of, uh, there were a lot of those, wow, I can't believe that this is really working out this way moments during the entire weekend. And that was definitely one of them. So she did forward me on her, uh, email address and I did send her, um, what I have so far of the study at this point today, as we're doing this interview, I have not heard back from her, um, on that specifically, but, uh, she is a busy person. <laughs> so she is. Yeah. She is. <laughs> so even just the fact that she took enough interest to ask is, is huge for me. And, and, um, I'm just, I'm just thrilled. So I, I do hope to hear back from her to know, um, what she thinks. I'd, I'd gladly take her feedback on, on the work. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was great. That was fantastic. Getting a chance to meet Gabe and Tycho was fantastic. And then their, their real names incidentally are Mike and Jerry, but everybody seems to know them as Gabe and Tycho. So I just, you know, I don't know which you're supposed to use. So I mean, meeting all those big names is a big deal, but, um, so, so what kind of feedback did you get from the participants and from the, from the people on the floor, you know, especially the people who, who aren't professionals in this area, right? Like Jane McConaughey, she's, video games resiliency she does as a designer she is exactly up our alley on what we're talking about but um you know what did you hear about from people on the floor yeah um and and that's a that's a great question because the feedback that i had gotten from the participants from the people who were just at pax was probably one of the most fantastic pieces of the of the weekend so these are people who have uh and and this was something i hadn't thought about you know 
one of the questions on the study was socioeconomic level. And I had someone come up to me at one point during the study and said, if I can give you some feedback, I mean, you may have a skewed sample here. And I had said, you know, well, why? And uh, they they explained that, you know, the people that can afford to come to a convention like this, um, you know, it's expensive to travel, it's expensive for the hotel. The tickets are actually not that terrible if you can get them, um, you know, when they're first available. But uh, all the expenses that come along with that, that is a particular level of person who can afford that. And so I thought, you know, they bring up a good point and chapter five of our dissertation is the, you know, the explanation, the limitations, the, where we go from here portion of the study. Um, and so I figured, well, that's, that's a note I need to make for adding this is that a potential limitation is really the, the particular participant that I pulled. But then uh, I get another person coming up to the table who says the same thing, but adds the piece to it. But I make less than 25000 a year. You know, he said, in fact, I'm essentially unemployed at this point. I'm just getting out of school. Um, but he said, you know, but I've saved up everything I have to come to this convention to be able to be around these people. So it's not really that skewed of a sample, is it? And it got me thinking, you know, it's something I need to mention. But that's isn't that such a point that these, these folks who I'm getting to uh, spend my days with, they cared enough about this convention to one way or another find the money find the time to get there, to be a part of it. And so, uh, you know, to be able to then additionally, they take the time out of their their valuable convention experience to come up to me to participate in this study to help me out. And then additionally have at least half of the people who came up spend a decent amount of time talking to me afterwards. I'm trying to think here. Everybody said something. Everybody said, good luck. You know, this is great. Thank you so much. But to have uh, at least like half of those folks say a little bit more than that, give me some feedback, want to talk to me about the design or, or whatever was just, um, was just a really awesome opportunity. And they're, uh, you know, these, these, these folks are telling me that, you know, thank you so much for doing this because I feel like, we get misunderstood all the time. And here you are sticking your neck out, trying to um, help people understand who we really are. This is this is such a great design. I can't believe no one would do it otherwise. They're always trying to look at what that we're so aggressive and that we, you know, this, that, and the other. It's just just the, the feedback on that was just, just fantastic. I, I, I had never really presumed that. I had, I had thought that I was going to have to really um, kind of twist people's arms to be willing to participate but the people who just wanted to make known that they are good people who you know are, are deserving of that kind of uh, attention was just was just really great and i mean that's the that's the population that we work with are the people who are just normal folks who this is a, a hobby or an activity and they've just kind of got some sort of a um just a hitch in their life that they need to work on i mean you as a counselor me as a counselor that's the population that we're used to seeing they're not uh, necessarily struggling significantly gaming is just a part of who they are as a person and they are good people and to forget about that is is problematic so i'm reminded again of the principle in psychology that says that one of the things that makes us be able to hate other people is when we classify them we we take really broad sweeping strokes and classify them as something that is less than a person you know if you look at uh, think of all the terrible times that people have been uh, terrorized in our history. It's whenever a group of people thought them to be less than human. You know, I, I think that that's a fear that we have to realize here that, that may be going on. You know, these, these are all just good people that uh, happen to identify as part of a culture. And um, that bias is, is so 
is so strong and then it, it's it doesn't go unfelt the folks that i talked to were were clearly they've been hurt in one way or another by the labels that are put on them um, just by doing something that they really like and that they really like to be a part of and so to get again to get thanked for that to get identified as a you know this is really important what you're doing was just really really validating for me and i think it's validating for your for your research the idea that you know we're you're looking for them as as identifying with the culture and identifying with what they do and it means something to them and you mentioned in those examples people come up to you and they were saying we you know they were identifying as a group as belonging to something and that is their choice right and it's it's what they love right absolutely yeah yeah i've <laughs> nothing to add to that it was it was just really great to talk to people and and to have uh, just everybody wanting to know the results you know i have so many people that want to know how this turns out in the end it puts a little bit of pressure on me which is great i, I need it certainly to make sure that i get this done um but you know like you said to, to presume that this is important to people that the research is um necessary is really really uh, excellent too you know, is just really, really validating because so many times I know you and, um, you know, Dr. Pat O'Connor and, and everyone we talk to um, have felt at one time or another, uh, I think even as professionals, you know, the, the people within our career don't quite know what we're talking about or don't know how important it is. Well, even worse, they dismiss it and, uh, yes. and, um, and minimize it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, to spend that weekend there just hearing about how important this was, was just really, really great. And like I said, I don't have a better word for it than validating because so often I feel invalidated by, by the responses I get from my peers. And to be able to see this other end of my peers, you know, I am a gamer. They are gamers too. And say, thank you for doing this is just great. It's, it's worth all the effort. And, and, anybody, and anybody that was um, there or, or is listening to this or anybody you talk to, you know, I think at least I feel good to know that you're not alone in doing things like this. That's the whole reason why um, I started Geek Therapy is, you know, to, to really highlight the fact that there's a lot of good and uh, in, in, in everything that we like, right? In all of this stuff, in the comic books, in the video games. And they do get a bad rap. And the whole minimizing, the dismissal, we get that as professionals from our peers, right? Like, oh, I'm doing research on video games. And someone says, oh, that's stupid. Well, you know, uh, kids are getting that experience in school. And um, older, you know, and adults are getting that in their personal lives. And it doesn't have to be that way. So it's really, really, really comforting to know that there's more and more professionals willing to step up and go to conventions and, and say, hey, this stuff is awesome and it's, it has benefits and it's very healthy. And if you look at it from a positive light, you'll see that it can be very beneficial for you, for your family, for your clients. It's, I, that's why I think that it's really important work that we're doing. And the fact that you, you did your PhD research like among all the exhibitors and right next to Five Hour Energy, yeah. like, that's a big deal. And, that's, and that's, that's really great. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. All right, Steve. So um, this, was, this was so cool. Again, I think uh, everything you're doing is fantastic. Um, thank you so much for sharing not only about your research, but your experience at the show. Actually, before, before we finish up, um, do you have any recommendations for, for other people who might be in a similar position, who may be thinking about doing a dissertation on, you know, anything related to geek culture or not even geek culture, just anything that maybe might be dismissed by their peers or anything like that? Do you have any advice for people? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that 
speaking from our, you know, the discussions I've had with you, I, I think that it's, uh, it is pretty routinely a dismissed idea and being uh, scoffed at by your peers for doing this research does not invalidate the research, does not invalidate, you know, what it is that we're trying to do. So I think that you should absolutely just follow your heart with it. You should do what you feel is right and not really pay attention to that. And if you're not getting the support that you need, I mean, that's exactly why, you know, my webpage is out there, your uh, geek therapy podcast and page and Twitter account and everything is out there. You know, I, I think that you need to reach out to people who are already doing it and feel feel a little bit of that support because it's necessary and it's important. So that's my feeling to that. And as far as um, seeking out the conventions and looking for the population, you know, it was a long shot for me to do this and I really wasn't sure how well it would be received. But for anybody who's considering it as an option, you don't have to go to the large national events to get it done. I mean, though that's not a bad avenue to pursue, clearly the population is interested. Clearly, from my experience at least, uh, the reception was very warm. You know, they, they really wanted to know more. So I would definitely pursue whatever your research uh, interests are, your, your um, scholarly interests are in this, in this venue. It's, it's a welcoming population. All right, Steve. So if anybody wants to know more information about you, what you're up to, about the research, um, where can they find that information? Uh, the, the easiest place to go first is to my webpage. Um, it is www.stevekuniak, S-T-E-V-E-K as in Kevin, U and as in Nathan, I-A-K.com. And if that is a stupid way to, to announce that host way, you can change it. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> www.stevekuniak.com. My full, uh, you know, my first and last name dot com. That's where I have a Pax East tab on the page. That's where I'm going to put the research results when it's done. Um, but I have other links to, um, you know, my blog, to other research um, pieces that I've done. I'm going to add that there. And certainly, my Twitter account is is a good place to go, and that is at um, Steve Agorn. S T E V A G O R N. Again. Thanks so much, Steve, for coming on. And if you want more information on Geek Therapy, visit geektherapy.com or follow us on Twitter at Geek Therapy. Thanks.